appreciate that. Thank you for the honor of having me, allowing me to come and to uh, teach the Word this morning. It is, uh, I, I just find it such a privilege to be able to open the Word of God and to hear from Him. And I hope this morning, and my prayer for you this morning, is that you would open your life and your mind and your heart to receive the Word that God has for you this morning. Because I believe that God has a word for you this morning. I don't know what it is. I just know what I'm going to teach, and I know that God is going to give you whatever that word is this morning. So would you come with a posture of openness and receptivity and say, yes, God, I want to I hear from you this morning. And maybe it's been a bad morning for you. Maybe it's been awful getting here. You know, I know what it's like to drive to church in the car. Anybody, you know, and that's when you have a fight. Right? If you have kids, you know, they're like, I don't know why I have to go to church. What are we doing after church? Would you just stop and put, kind of put all that aside and just say, God, now I just want to stop and I just want to listen to you. And I want to hear from you this morning. Can you do that this morning? Can you do that? I invite you to do that with me. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 17. And if you don't have a Bible, but you have a phone or you have an app, turn in your app and turn to John 17. You're, I understand you're back into this series in the Gospel of John. It's your fourth moving through. It's the fourth part of this series. And so I invite you to, to embrace that and say, God, what do you want to teach us through this great words that come from the Gospel of John? So we're going to be looking at John 17, verses 6 to 10. And as you know, this particular chapter is a prayer. It's a prayer of Jesus. Now we know that, you know, if you've been around the church a bit, you know the, probably the Lord's Prayer, where his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, okay, this is how you need to learn to pray. That's not what this is. This is Jesus modeling prayer for you and for me this morning. And how he prays for us. That's what we're looking at this morning. I love to watch children pray. They're so sweet and innocent. I've got, I've got five grandkids. The oldest is six. The youngest is a couple months. But the older ones, when you sit with them and, and you, you hear them pray, it's just so wonderfully simple and yet so profound. They'll pray for things it's like I'm not even thinking of. And then on the other end, I remember sitting with a senior at the Menno Hospital, and uh, we'd met a number of times, and I just remember sitting with her and talking with her, and, you know, her thing was she was 90-something, and at that age, you know, she just kept saying, God, I just want to go home. I just want to go to heaven. And so we would meet, and, but she was, she was present in the moment. She wasn't just sort of grumpy about, why am I still here? She would say, I'm here for a reason. And we'd talk about it. I'd say, why, why do you think you're here? And she'd say, I'm here because I need to be praying. That's what God's called me to do. I said, really? So we'd start to talk, and we'd start talking. She'd say, you know, she'd say, Pastor Reg, what can I pray for you? And I, we'd, I'd share some things. And then she'd say, how can I pray for your kids? You, know, you want to get to somebody's heart? You say, how can I pray for your kids? What can I, what can I pray for them? And so we would, she, we would share, and then she would pray. And, you know, she would pray things that I'd be like, where did that come from? I didn't even share that, and she's praying about it. So somehow she, she had a line to God 
that she could hear those things, knew those things from him, and just pray them. Prayer is powerful. And in this particular passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus here is praying for his disciples. He's saying, listen to this word that I'm giving you. We get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. We know that Jesus would go and pray. That's what it would tell you. Jesus would just go up in a mountain by himself and pray, and we wouldn't know what he was praying because nobody went with him. In this particular instance, Jesus has his disciples around him, and they're listening to what he's saying. And thank you, Holy Spirit, they wrote it down for us so that we can look at it and we can understand it. It's a powerful, a meaningful time for those disciples, for them, for, for them to hear Jesus pray for them. And it's recorded for our understanding and growth. Let's read the text together. John chapter 17, starting at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Father, as we open your word this morning, as we look at these words, these few words here, Father, I pray for an understanding heart. Lord, I pray for each person in this room that you would give them the word that you have for them this morning, and they would receive it as a gift from you. And Lord, that you would guide them into whatever it is that you're, you're speaking to them or calling them to. And so we pray that you would open our lives, open our minds to receive this word, to understand these words that you've written for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing I want you to notice from this particular text in verse 6 is that Jesus comes to reveal God to these people. Jesus' purpose in coming to earth is to reveal God to us. He says it this way in the passage, I have manifested, I have made your name known to the people whom you gave me. Now this idea of a name isn't just simply a name like Ulysses. It actually has more meaning than just big baby. All right? It actually means who is God. The name of God actually talks about the character of God. And so when Jesus comes to this earth, he comes to show us God's character. And what it teaches me and shows me is the unity of God, the Father and the Son being one. If, if you know me, Jesus said, then you know my Father. So there's not this distinction. So Jesus is talking to the Father. And he says, Father, I have shown you to my disciples. I have revealed them to you. And so as we think about our lives and we, we think about being disciples of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you know that Jesus has shown God to you. As we read through the Gospels, we see the way in which God is revealed through the life of Christ. And Jesus is saying, God, thank you that I've been able to reveal you to them. I have done the work that you've called me to do. 
And then in verses 6 and 7, it talks about God's people being revealed, that God's people being known. Look at that text again. Yours they were. They were God's. And you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Jesus is saying to the Father, thank you that you have called these people out. You have said they're part of the family. They are gods and they have become Jesus. And so they're being revealed. They're being seen. Paul unpacks that for us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, where he says, In love he, God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You see, God chooses us. That idea of adoption. I just talked to somebody at the break who has adopted some children. And I said, how's it going? It's hard. And I'm like, yeah, I can imagine it would be. How do you take some kids that don't belong and put them in your family? And, and yet, it's, from the child's perspective, it's like, I have a family now. I have someone who loves me and cares for me and I belong somewhere. And you see, that's exactly what God did for us. He said, I want you to be part of my family. Would you come in? I've adopted you. I know who you are. Paul, later on in Ephesians 1, says this, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So he continues to say, God's people have been called out. And when we've been called out, we've been given something. We've been given an inheritance. Too often we think of inheritance as, you know, it's about money, right? How much money am I being left behind? And really when you think about it, think about it for a minute as a family. An inheritance is really who you are as a person. How many of you, you know, you you have characteristics of your father or your mother. Those characteristics are part of your life. You've been taught things by them, sometimes for good or bad. And you go, okay, that's part of what I've received from my family. You see, God wants to give us an inheritance, and that inheritance is found in Christ and in what he wants to do in us and through us. He's given it to us. He's pouring it into our life. And so because he's given us this life that we have, part of being in the family and part of this text, I wanted to bring this out, part of this text says that we then go out and we find those who are going to join the family. People get hung up with this idea of predestination. Well, God already knows, so we don't need to do anything. My response is, actually, God already knows. And guess who doesn't? Who doesn't know? We don't know. Do we know who God's chosen? No. So the fun part of the mystery is, we get to go out and share the gospel and see who is it that God has chosen. And then they're coming in and we're going, Wow, I would have never expected that guy to be a follower of Jesus. I I would have never expected this person to be interested in spiritual things. And we watch that take place, and it's like we're part of seeing that ingathering of the family of God. So it shouldn't be a hang-up for us. It actually should be an encouragement for us to say, I need to get out there and see who is God calling? Who is it he's bringing into the family? And so I see it as an amazing way to partner with God as he says, Go out and see who's joining us. In verse 8, we see that Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, for you gave them words that you gave me. And in this text, we see that God's people are learning. 
You know that God wants to teach us. He wants to guide us. He, he wants to inform us. He doesn't want to leave us ignorant or under, without understanding of who he is and what he's called us to be and do. So he said, let me, let me give you some words. Let me give you some truth. So we're learning. In verse 8, it talks about learning. Jesus came to show the way to the Father. He came to not just live life here, but he came to be, live the truth. He makes bold claims as he teaches. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as his disciples walked with him every day, he showed them the truth. He just revealed it to them. It wasn't like they sat in a classroom and said, go to college and learn about God. Because you know what? They had schools back then when they could do that. It wasn't about that. It was about walking with Jesus and actually learning who is God and how does God interact in the world. And Jesus showed them exactly how God would choose to interact in the world, because he did. So there were times where he was reaching out to people who were in need, and there were times where actually he was being confrontive and saying, you know what, this is not a good thing that you're doing. And the Gospels help us to know the truth of a life lived for Jesus. Well, how, does, how do the people of God learn? And Jesus unpacks it in this verse 8. The first thing he says, the word of God has been given. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the one, uh, sorry, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that that word, word, W, is capitalized because it's talking about a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus came in the flesh so that we can know the Father, full of Notice at the end of the verse with those two words, grace and truth. Those two things go together. You never see those separated in Scripture. It's not just truth. It's grace and truth. God has come to give us grace and truth. We just finished the Christmas season. And we use a word, the word Emmanuel, God with us. And we remember that at Christmas. And I hope that we don't just think about it at Christmas, but we think about it all year round because God didn't just come at Christmas and then leave. He actually came and gave us, as the, as the children are learning in children's ministry this morning, about the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about God being with us, we can say God is with us right now. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have God in you. Is God with you this morning? Yeah, he's because he's living in you. God with us. The Holy Spirit living in us. So Jesus came as the incarnate God, made in the image of man, so that he could experience life as we do. Do you understand? So, so he understands us. He, it's not like he goes, oh yeah, you know, I, I lived a perfect life, it was easy. He, he had hard things. Can I give you a couple examples? I think about this. In, in the, we never read about Joseph after Jesus is born. So at some point in time, I would suggest to you, Joseph died. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a parent early. And he's the oldest son. So the responsibility in that culture was for him to pick up the role of father. He understands us. When we grieve, Jesus grieved the loss of his father. Let me give you a second example. Jesus grew up in a family where, as I read the text, there are boys. Not in this text, but there's other texts that talk about brothers. Jesus had brothers. 
How many of you have brothers? What were the, what's it like? Everybody gets along. Horrible. Yeah, I hear that. Everybody gets along, right? You love each other. You help each other out. You're like, what kind of planet did I land on? Of course not. I've got, I've got three grandsons, like six, four, two. And they love to fight. They just love to fight. We were camping on the last uh, summer, and as we were camping, all of a sudden, one of the kids is crying, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? And he's, oh, my, my brother, my brother kicked me. And I'm like, okay. And, the, and then his brother, his older brother says, yeah, I kicked him just like this, and boom, he kicks him again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, except grandson number two takes matters into his own hands, makes a fist, and punches him right in the face. Now, being a good grandpa, I let it slide. <laughs> I am not the parent here. This is not my job. And besides that, I figured grandson number one deserved what he got. <laughs> so I didn't need to discipline anything. It was good. But, you know, Jesus grew up in a family. You know, we sometimes think he grew up in the, you know, all by himself, living his little life over here. It's like, no, he grew up in a family. He had parents. He had siblings. And can you imagine what it would be like to grow up with this guy who's perfect? If you were his brother, you'd want to smack him around every day. It's like, you're driving me crazy. Your mom's favorite. Yeah, but I don't do anything wrong. Yeah, that's what drives me crazy. So he understands us. He knows what it's like to grow up in a family. He understands us. The word was given to us. Jesus came as God incarnate. And as we read, the, especially the Gospels, read those texts and go, these are given so we would know who Jesus is, so we would know who God is. So the word is given. The second thing from verse 8 is the word is received. The disciples were invited by Jesus to join him. Come and follow me, he said, and I'll make you fishers of men. Come and follow me. Today, Jesus is inviting us to be his disciples, to be his followers. The early disciples received the words of Jesus through the acts of Jesus, living with him, seeing the miracles that he did. We're fortunate we have the, this written word for us. We can be reminded, and God still works in miraculous ways. Sometimes not so much here, although I think we should be asking for it more often. But you go to places like Burundi, where there's not, where you, if you have nothing, it's like you begin to just pray because you have. There's no other option. There's no doctor to go to, or there's no money to spend to do that kind of thing. And you just start to pray, and God answers prayer. So the word is received. When they were asked, the disciples at one point were asked, you want to go follow somebody else? And they said, no, you're the only one. And so they're receiving that word. They're saying, okay. They've opened themselves to Jesus' teaching, and they see that it is the truth. There is no other truth. They've looked at all other things that around them and gone, this is the only thing that's real. So they're receiving it. In verse 8, it says they received the word of truth. They received it as truth. And this word of God, this text, is actually something we can trust. You can do lots of research around that and go, is, you know, are these words actually something we can hold on to? And people want to make a great case for there's too many mistakes? Do some research on the mistakes. It's like you missed a comma. That's the kind of mistakes that there are in the text from original to now. It's minimal. 
We hold on to other things much more highly. And so they've received this word as, as the word of truth. Jesus prays that this group of people, his followers, they've accepted the truth. And what is the truth? It says in the text, Jesus is from God. So we would, if we're receiving that truth for ourselves, we're saying, God, you sent Jesus your son, and he is you. John 14, 6, as I quoted earlier, Jesus said, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. And he said this, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm the doorway. I'm the way to get to see and understand and know God. Come and understand and know me. Then we see in this text that the word is believed. The, the disciples have, have received it. They see it as the truth. And now they're saying, Jesus is praying. And he's saying, thank you, God, that they now believe. They understand. Thank you that this group is believing. Do you see? There's a progression. A word is given. The word is received as truth. And then it's believed. Let's be clear about this word believe. It isn't just our head. It isn't just an intellectual knowledge. We need that. I'm not putting that down in any way. We need to understand the text. We need to get in it and, and go deep with it. But it needs to migrate from our head to our heart. Because the heart or the emotions are, is the area where we make decisions. And so we need to say, yes, we believe, but it needs to go deeper. You see, in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. See, the demons know that Jesus and God are the same. The Holy Spirit is that. You can say, okay, I believe that. It's like, okay, that's the same as the demons. So what's the difference? The difference is it's going to change how you live. It's going to change who you are. So those who are disciples or followers have moved beyond just a mental ascent, but are allowing what they believe to change their life. I had a friend many years back who was part of our life group. And they, they attended church, and they, they came. We talked about talked about gospel, we talked about believing, we talked about the truth, and we were talking about things together, and I, I said, you know, have you ever actually received that message of the gospel into your life, and had it change your life? And he said, yeah, no, I haven't, and he wasn't very sure about it, and, and I, I just said, well, you know, we need to keep having conversations about that, and he said, yeah, okay. Two days later, I get a phone call. He's desperate, I got to meet with you, and I'm like, What's going on? I just need to meet with you. So, okay, fine, let's meet. We met, talked together. I said, so what's going on? And he said, I, I was going through an intersection today, or the other day, yeah, today, and I just about T-boned a car. And I realized in that moment that I would not have time to pray and receive Christ as my Savior and Lord. Because what he was planning to do is wait till the end of his life and then receive Jesus at the last moment. And you know what? None of us knows when that last moment will come. And it shook him. And he said, I need to receive Jesus right now. You see, he had a lot of knowledge. He believed, he understood who Jesus was, but it hadn't moved from his head to his heart. And so this word believe in, in the text really means much more than how we use the word believe. We tend to say, yeah, I believe that, and I believe this, and I believe that, and I change my mind every second day. But that's not what this is. Believe means this is my conviction. This is my passion. This is where I'm going to sit and wait. So believing. We need to move to belief. 
In verse 9, Jesus talks about God's people who are loved. Jesus is praying for his disciples. So it says here he's not praying for the world. And before, again, we make too much of that, you say, well, God, you know, Jesus doesn't pray for the world. No, he prays for his disciples. That doesn't mean he doesn't love the world. That text out of John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world. Yeah, not the disciples, not the ones that will be chosen. God so loved the world that he gave, that he sent Jesus And so Jesus at this point isn't praying for the world, but it doesn't mean God doesn't love the world. And so he's praying for his people. He prays for us. Just Can you sit with that for a moment? If you're a follower of Jesus, do you know that Jesus right this minute is praying for you? Right this minute. I don't know what he's praying for you, but he's praying whatever it is that you need. And I'll say this, it's not what you want. (laughs) It's what you need. Are those two different things? Often they are. Not always, but often. In Hebrews 7.25, the writer says, Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, that's the salvation experience, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, that's what Jesus lives for. Jesus is passionate about praying for you and for me. He's passionate. He lives for that. He's he's sitting with God and just saying, hey, look at those folks there who are at Central Community, picking out one or two. Like, he's praying for you. He's God. He can pray for you all at the same time, all with your own specific needs. He's expressing his love for you through his prayers. He's declaring what has been done and what is being done in our lives. And then verse 10, God's people belong where he says, all mine are yours, and yours are mine. Jesus sees us as being given to God, and God has given, us to the, has given us to Jesus. This shows that Jesus and the Father are one. It helps me understand, hopefully it helps you understand, how much God loves me, how much he loves you. Paul wrote to the early church in Rome, saying, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus today, you belong to the family. You belong to the Father and to all others who belong to him. You're part of the family. And if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and you're sort of one of those who you're not sure where you sit, you could belong to the family, and Jesus is inviting you to be part of that family to go through and understand who he is and then to believe in him. It's it's actually that simple and that profound. He wants us to belong. How do we know? How do we know that we belong to the family? Part of it, I think, comes back to this issue of inheritance. We, We live with, we have an inheritance that comes from the Father. And I don't, again, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about character. Character that comes from the Father. How do we know we belong? John writes letters later to the churches that he planted, and he says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his, God's presence. How do we, how do we know? How do we belong? How do we know we belong? We actually begin to live life the way Jesus did. We just begin to live life for him. 
Let me give an ex- personal example. Many years ago, as a young man, I had a, actually as a kid, I had a terrible temper. One of, the, one of the pictures that I have, one of the most, you know, for me, the most damning pictures that I have of myself is my mom took me when I was in a full rage. Just, I'm just letting everybody have it. And, and so I had this problem with my temper. And, you know, people who probably knew me on the surface would never have known anything. Uh, Brenda and I got married, and within that first year, she, I'd get mad at things. I'm at, I remember having a pickup truck that would get stuck as soon as there was like one snowflake. And we lived in Quinell. Believe me, there was more than one snowflake. And so I was constantly stuck with this dumb truck, and I would lose my temper and rage at this stupid thing. And my wife, Brenda, would say to me, Reg, I don't know who I married. Like, who is this guy who loses it like this? Like, that just, like, I didn't know this about you. The reason I tell you the story is because God began to do a work in my life and say, you know what, Reg, that, that's wrong. You're sinning. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to say, well, I'm very motivated. No, you're just angry. And it's like, okay. So God began to work in my life. And now I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Red, you're the most patient person that I know. And I kind of go, who are you talking about? I am the most impatient person that was on the face of the planet. But it's because God does that work of transformation in us. Whatever it is for you, God is doing it or has done it and wants to do even more life transformation. How do we know that we belong to this family? Spurgeon put it this way, these high secret talks that Jesus, and he's talking about the prayer of Jesus, are not about some few saints who have reached a higher life, but about all of us who belong to him. Jesus bears all of us on his heart, and he speaks of us all to the Father. What great words. This isn't about just sort of a few super saints. This is, he's saying, no, this is actually about everybody. Jesus is praying this prayer. He's praying for all the disciples, all his followers, every single one. Thank you, Lord, that you belong, that you belong to this family. Finally, God speaks or God's people bring him glory in verse 10. You'll notice this text. He, he says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm glorified in them. I could understand if, Jesus, if God were to say or Jesus were to be praying, uh, you, know, you know, may your glory, which was preached last week by Pastor Jason, you know, the glory of God seen in creation, it's amazing, it's something to, to watch. And now Jesus does this, and it just doesn't make sense. He's praying about the disciples who were present. So you know who he's praying about, right? Those 12 guys and some of the things they did. You know, one of them's going to sell him off to the religious leaders and punt him out the door for 30 pieces of silver. I don't even know, even if that's a year's wage, like, so what? One of the other ones is going to disown him. They all run away. Jesus is in this moment leading up to that praying, thank you that I am glorified in these disciples. And I hope that raises a question for you. Like, how in the world is that possible? They're denying. They're, you know, looking at our lives maybe even saying, I'm not perfect. I don't know all the things I should do. I know I do some things that I mess up. 
Jesus is telling the Father that this motley crew of 12 and more is bringing him glory. Well, how in the world does that happen? Well, let me suggest to you that we see it first in in one, one way, and I'll give you a couple of others. The first way is that God is glorified in our transformed lives. See, when you come to faith in Jesus and you say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me the way I am. I am a broken person and I need your healing touch. That glorifies God. Because God is the one who's doing the transformation within us. It's not us. I don't say, oh, I can fix myself. That's why I love the ministry that you have here at your church, Freedom Session. I've been part of that at another church, and, and I love that because it's walking a healing journey. It's, it's saying, how do we get through our brokenness and realize all these things, these acting out stuff, all that's acting out. There's stuff going on in the heart that needs to be addressed. We had a young man live with us in our house, and, and he came from Fort St. John. He went through Teen Challenge. He came to our Freedom Session group, and I walked with him through Freedom Session. And you know what? He had so much brokenness. His mother had died when he was 19, and just the way that kind of he found out about it, and she had died of cancer. He knew she was sick, but it was, it was a difficult time for him. And then he got hooked into alcohol and drugs and, and got, became using. And you know, we could talk about, well, we need to get you clean from alcohol and drugs. But you know, that wasn't the issue. The issue was deep in his heart. Like, you know, to have conversations. Around, can, you know what? Sounds to me like you're really, like he had a bit of a church background, Catholic. And, and it was like, sounds to me like you're really angry with God. And he had to sit and think about it. Yeah, you know what? I am. I'm really angry with God. All right, let's talk about that. Let's talk about why you think it was unfair. And, and we began to unpack all that stuff in, in our group. and began to realize we're dealing with heart issues. And Jesus and God want to deal with that heart issue. So when we do this work of transformation, when God does that in us, he's glorified by it. And then when we live for him, that's when we all continue to give him glory. Sometimes we get this messed up, and I want to be really clear here this morning, and that I would always teach and, and would say, we need to understand the love of God for us. And until you truly understand how deeply God loves you, you will never be able to serve him in the way that he would want you to because you don't understand his love for you. So we need to stop and go, God, ex- show me your love. Show me your, help me understand this. And so when, when you do something really bad or you have in your past and it's still eating you and you're full of shame and guilt about it and God says, I've already forgiven you that. Would you hear that word? A lot of people I've run into would say, oh, God could not forgive this. It's like, actually, you know what? God already has. You just need to agree with him. The person who can't forgive is you. And God wants you to forgive yourself. powerful when we understand God's love for us like wow God you love me even when I just messed up yes come to me in brokenness repentance your burden right now is heavy I want to give you a light burden because out of that we do life in Mark 9 41 it says for truly I say to you whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward so it begins it begins to be how do we serve 
Like, I believe every follower of Jesus should be serving. That's what he called us to be and to do, to serve. And so how do we do that? Well, it comes out of God's love. If we don't experience God's love, we can't serve. Or if we serve, we'll do it with kind of a bad attitude. Or we may do it because it's making us feel better. It's medicating us. Whereas rather we need to accept God's love for us and then out of that, the service just automatically comes. B. Milne wrote this, what a marvelous incentive to living for Christ this is, that he who has need of nothing may yet be glorified through our obedience and service. God doesn't need anything from us. He can do whatever he wants. But he wants us to walk with him and we glorify him when we just simply live life with him. Just like Jesus did on this earth. He just walked with his disciples and did life. Have you ever thought about doing life with your neighbors? We live in a neighborhood up on Promontory. And uh, it's taken us 14 years to, I, I'm sure somebody put a sign on our, on our door when we moved in saying, this is a pastor's house. Don't talk to him, he's going to try to convert you. And I'm like, ah, because it was, it's, I just, I want to, you know, so when it snows, I celebrate. I do a happy dance when it snows. No, don't kill me. All right? Why? Because everybody's out shoveling snow. And guess what? I get out there with my shovel and I get to go and talk to all my neighbors. We get to interact. This Christmas was the very first time where we, took, we take gifts around to our neighbors. We started doing it five or six years ago. It's the first time I was, in, actually, I was invited into two homes. Sat and had coffee. We chatted about whatever, you know, life together. And it's like, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I don't know if God was happy, but I was happy that I could get into a home and just sit and talk to people who have nothing to do with Jesus at all. But that's what glorifies God. It doesn't have to, it's not rocket science. You don't have to go and, I mean, Tyler and, you know, Schultz is out there in the mission field. It's like, that's awesome. God called them to that. If God calls you to work as a teacher or a doctor or whatever, being a parent and home, if God calls you to that, do it with all your heart. That's what he's called you to do. If you're retired, you know, God, what do you want me to do today? Because I can do it with all my heart. It's what you've called me to do. It's how we serve him. So in closing, Jesus invites us to be his followers. He invites us to know him, to receive him, to believe him, and to walk with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe you just came to church today and you were invited, that's great, or you just showed up. Or maybe you've been coming for a while and you haven't taken that step from receiving and understanding who Jesus is and you haven't taken that step to believing and changing of your heart. If you'd like to do that this morning, there's going to be some people who will pray with you this morning. They'd love to do that. I'd love to do that. Pastor Ron, other staff people, other people who are here. If you came with a friend, I'm sure they'd love to talk and pray with you. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you're sitting here today, I would hope that you would, in this text, go, Jesus is praying for me right now. Oh, Jesus, I want to worship you because you're praying for me right now. And that should move our hearts. That should say something to us. And then we can say, because you love me and you're praying for me, I can just walk with you. So when we walk out that door, it's like 
God, you're going to bring people into contact with us. You know, if you're buying groceries, have your antenna open. God, is there somebody here that I just need to be paying attention to? Something going on. Maybe nothing. But just be listening. Listening to the Holy Spirit who God has given us. I invite you to listen to God this morning as I close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us into your family. Thank you that your disciples showed us the way and that they, though imperfect, brought you glory, just like us, we're imperfect. I ask you today that you would draw those whom you were calling to be in your family to you. May your invitation be heard and understood and accepted by those who are seeking you. And Lord, I pray for those of us here who know you and have maybe known you for years, that we would be grateful for the life that you've given us, for the love that you've given us, for the family that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that our lives would be for your glory and that we're not worried about doing some amazing, crazy thing unless you call us to it, but it's just about living life and watching and embracing your love and giving your love away. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.